a seat. Well, welcome uh, to the Austin Stone. We're really happy that you're here with us, seriously. Uh, you could have done a lot of things the first Sunday of the 2019, and so we're really thankful to be worshiping with you, especially if this is your first time. We're glad you're here. We gather here every week to meet with and hear from Jesus. That's our deepest desire, and that's our prayer for you, that you would meet with and hear from the living God uh, every week. And so uh, you can go ahead and open in your Bibles to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you didn't wor- uh, bring a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be, the, the verses will be up on the screen. Uh, my name's Andy. I work with the For the Nations team uh, here with the Austin Stone. So it's New Year's. It's a time about thinking about the future. We set goals. We have themes for the year. Some of you even have words for the year. You guys want to confess? No, you don't have to. I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and whatever you do is awesome. We get these New Year's resolutions, right? And definitely don't need to raise your hands on this one. But how many of us have already broken, right? Where you're like, dude, I'm, gonna, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm really going in this time. I exercise every single day. Eat healthy every single day. And then came Friday, right? And, and it didn't happen. So it's okay. Lots of grace. It doesn't mean you need to dump the goal. Just, you know, maybe don't do it on the weekends or something. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, as we turn to the new year with, as, as the church, it made us, too, think about what is God leading us to in the future. And so the next three weeks, we're going to be sharing with you what we believe God has called our church to for this next season, however many years it takes among the nations. And so next week, your, your campus pastors will be preaching to you um, about what it looks like to be involved in the nations and being here in Austin. And then the last week, Matt Carter is going to talk about being all in uh, and, and, and what role sacrifice has in being a part of the nations. And so we're going to call this series, this three-week series, To the Ends, because we believe the gospel should go to the ends of the earth, that every single person should have an opportunity to hear and know about this great God that we just got done singing about. And so, and that we all have a role to play, regardless of our location, okay? Um, uh, let's, let's flip open to 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. But we do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
So today, we're going to be talking about the return of Jesus. And you may be asking yourself, what does the return of Jesus have to do with my 2019? We're going to answer that question. Why hasn't he returned yet? Maybe you're asking that. We're going to look at that. And, and so here's what we're not going to look at, okay? We're not going to look at end times theology. Not because it's not important, but we're not going to get into the rapture. And, and, and if it's your first time here or you're new to the church world, don't worry about these words. But like pre-millennialism, post-millennialism. We're not going to get into any of the Left Behind series, okay? Or, or the tattooed Jesus with flaming eyes, all that. And, and now you're really weirded out if you're not a regular attender. It's okay, okay? Every, every group has their thing. And uh, those things are important. But here's what's important to point out. Here's what's important to point out. That the second coming of Jesus isn't an optional or side doctrine of our faith. It's essential, If Jesus doesn't return, then all the promises of God and our faith are meaningless. To be orthodox is to believe that Jesus will return again. So don't let the lack of clarity on how he's going to come back, that's all those other things that I was talking about, confuse you about the essential nature that he will come again to change everything. Here's our main point today. God is coming again And he is patient with us so all people groups can reach repentance. That all people groups would reach repentance. We're going to talk about it this way. That God is coming again. That he's patient. We're going to look at why he's patient. And and how he's been moving on the earth. Who did Jesus die for? um, What what is God doing among the people groups of the world? What the heck is a people group? Um, And how has the Austin Stone been a part of God's story? And then lastly, we're going to look at our response. So God's coming again, he is patient, and our response, that's where we're going today. So first, God is coming. We learned several things about the coming of God, that his coming is certain, and his coming is weighty. His coming is certain, and his coming is weighty. Start with with the certainty. In 2 Peter 3.10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come. Earlier in verses 4 and 9 in chapter 3, Peter talks about the promise of his coming. The promise of Jesus' coming is throughout the Bible. You look back at Daniel, and there's, there's lots of verses we could have chose from. Daniel chapter 7, it talks about Jesus coming again, and that he will be given dominion and a kingdom that will be everlasting, that will never be destroyed, and that all languages and peoples will serve him in this kingdom. Jesus talks about his coming over 12 different times in the Gospels. You look at John 14, verses 2 and 3. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and, and that where I am you may be also. The angels told the disciples the same thing in Acts chapter 1. You look at Revelation 19, and we see this powerful, powerful picture of Jesus coming and returning again. And two things happen at his return. He brings those who have said yes to him, who he has redeemed, to himself, and he judges those who have rejected him. He both draws to himself those he has redeemed, who have said yes to him, and he judges those who have... um, Rejected him. Those are the only two options. Jesus coming again is very certain. And in fact, when we see Jesus' first coming, which we just celebrated at Christmas, right? His first coming actually helps to validate his second coming. 
His first coming actually helps to validate his second coming. Because just like in the Old Testament, they were waiting and waiting and waiting for this Messiah, this Savior to be born, right? They waited hundreds of years. Some people thought, no, he's just not going to come. And then he did. He did come, amen? Yeah, you can say amen. So, so I don't know if you're used to this or not. But like when I say amen, then you can say amen back to me. And it's fun for me to know that you're alive. Okay? Okay? So Amen? There we go, okay, and it's okay if you're not an amen or didn't grow up Baptist, that doesn't matter, okay, just, you, it's good for me, okay. So his first coming actually helps to validate his second coming, and so we, like the people of the Old Testament, are waiting again for his return, and because he came once, it, it, it shows us that he will come again. This is one of the reasons I love to celebrate the Christmas season. Not just to celebrate his first coming, but as a promise of what, the, the fact that he's coming again. So we know Jesus is coming again, but we actually don't know when he's coming. His disciples asked him in Acts chapter 1, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's, we're clear on the fact that he is coming. We don't know when. And so if you're driving down or parking on 35, whatever you do, right? Depends on the time of day. Um, and, and you see one of those big billboards, Jesus is going to return to judge the earth. July 27th, you know what? I, <coughs> it's baloney, Okay. They're wrong, okay? Uh, I, I need to be loving towards them too. Like, uh, I, I appreciate their desire to help us think about things that are eternal, but they're wrong because they don't read their Bibles, okay? No one knows. No one knows the day or the hour except for the Father. And so, don't be fooled by that. So, his coming is certain. Number two, his coming is weighty. His coming is weighty. Look at 2 Peter 3, 10 again. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now you might be thinking, oh man, here we go with everything's gonna burn theology again, right? This, it's all gonna burn, so, you know, and no, no, no. It's, it's different than you may think. Listen to what John Piper says when he comments on this verse 10. He says, But I'm inclined to say that Peter's description of a fire and destruction of creation in verses 10 and 12 does not refer to an annihilation of creation, but rather a catastrophic purging and supernatural transformation of creation as God reverses the curse and makes all things new. This is suggested in verses 6 and 7 by the comparison of the destruction by water in Noah's day with the destruction by fire at the end. The water did not annihilate. Remember how, how the earth grew back, right? And, and Noah and his family were saved and the animals were saved, right? It did not annihilate. It purged. And so the fire does not annihilate. It purifies and transforms the creation. So this is similar and different than the old Baptist bumper sticker, it's all going to burn, right? That you might still have scary dreams of, you know, with the little flames and the little people, like, you know, like whatever their faces were, guys with the X's for the, you know, it's not. So it's similar and different, okay? It's similar in the sense that there will be a, a, a real burning of all things, a destruction of all things, but not to destroy but rather to expose. Look again at verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works on it that are done on it will be exposed. 
See, the burning is for the purpose of exposing what's eternally valuable. What's eternally What's eternally valuable? And we are surrounded, friends, by things that are not eternally valuable. And we even spend hours scrolling, looking at things that are not eternally valuable. And it's not wrong to have this or do this, but, but ask yourself the question, what, is, what will last for eternity? It w- Apple, everything will be destroyed forever, okay? And I'm not a hater, okay? I'm a user, Okay, um, but, but it, there, there will be no more updates, okay? You know, uh, it, it, and it's all, it, it, in a sense, those things will be burned. But, but our works will be exposed, will be exposed. Here's one of my favorite quotes. It's by one of my heroes, C.T. Studd. How about that for a last name? S-T-U-D-D. C.T. Studd, lived about 100 years ago. He said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, C.T. Studd lived about 100 years ago, came to know Jesus in college. His brother um, uh, uh, led him to faith in Christ. He was the captain of the Cambridge football team. Imagine Tua, right? Like that, that love, Bama's quarterback, you guys know what I'm talking about. Take that OU, you know, and enjoy playing baseball, right? And, uh, and, and, and this guy was awesome, okay? He had a very lucrative career in the future, uh, C.T. Studd did. And, 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 and yet he came, to, he came to know Jesus. He began to share Jesus with the different cricket players. And, then, and he came to a, a one-night meeting with a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor who was sharing the gospel in China, had come back to recruit some people, and he talked about the needs of China, and C.T. Studd that night, along with some of his friends, said, we're going to walk away from our cricket careers and all the money attached to it, and we're going to go and proclaim the gospel to those who have no access in China. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And, and the, the paper got a hold of the fact that these boys, like a, a part of the cricket team was actually quitting and going to China, and they said, these boys are going to waste their lives in China. But in fact, it was the opposite, wasn't it? They were going to give their lives to things that were lasting for eternity. And we get to see this every year, the For the Nations team. We get to see person after person leave their secure jobs and all the good eating that we have in Austin. Amen? Yeah, you should say amen. Don't, don't eat it. Okay, I don't need to name places. Um, we get to see people walk away from very secure jobs. A family over at West Campus last year, this guy worked the same job with the same company in a very good way, kept moving up in the company, super secure, for 16 years. Lived in his house with his wife for 16 years, and, and they, they got this stirring in them about two years ago and said, I think we're supposed to go with our four kids. And so they, they moved out of their house, moved up to our neighborhood, were in our Goer MC, and now they're in the Middle East. And it hasn't all been easy, but we get to see this kind of sacrifice, people living for eternity. And here's what I don't want you to hear me say, that the only way to live for eternity is by selling everything, moving out of your house, and going overseas. That's not the only way. Amen? If you didn't say amen and you think it is, then we can talk afterwards and we'll get you overseas, no problem. Okay? <laughs> That's what I do full time, all right? But, 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 but it's not the only way. We have friends that are in our group this year, and he's a construction worker, okay? And, and at his construction site, you can live for eternity in Austin, amen? 
And he's at, on his job site and he started a Bible reading group over the noon hour with some of the guys. And they started reading the Bible and one guy came to know Jesus. And so then they baptized that guy and then the day of his baptism, they went out to lunch with him afterwards and he and that guy led their two kids to faith in Christ. Amen? You can live for eternity right here and now. And so here's the question that we want to ask. What will last from last year? It is good and right and healthy for us to reflect on 2018 and get with somebody this next week and think about the question, what will last from last year? And then how do I want my life to be different this year? How do I live for things that will last forever and ever and ever? So we know Jesus is coming for sure. We know that his coming will be weighty. So now what? I think we have two more questions. We have to ask, why hasn't he come yet? And what's our response? Why hasn't he come? That's our second point. He hasn't come because God is patient. God is patient. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The promise that it's talking about there in verse 9 is his coming. Not slow. Why would you think that he's slow? Well, because it's been 2,000 years since he said he's coming again, right? That's a pretty long time when you think about it the way that we think. But look at what verse 8 encourages us. I love how it calls us beloved, by the way. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years as one day. And I was reading a Matthew Henry commentary, and I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but here's what he said essentially, is that it's critical for us to realize that God is not like us. Too often we believe that God experiences the world like we do. He does not. He is God. And time and space and all things that happen in the universe are orchestrated by him alone. Although we were made in his image, he is very, very superior and different than us. This matters because we could look at 2,000 years and say, it's not patience, that's forgetfulness. Or, or maybe worse, that's just not going to happen. That's just not true. It is, friends. The fact, though, is that God has a timetable that's not ours. That's not ours. So he hasn't come yet because he's patient. Why is he patient? The Bible, look, look to the Bible, right? Second Peter 3, 9 tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wants all to repent. That's, that's why he's patient. That's why he hasn't come back, because he wants all to repent. So the next question is, who is all? Who is all? Well, the first answer to that is you. He wants you to repent. And so the, 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 the question you need to ask today is, have I repented? Have I said, Jesus, God, I can't? cover my wrongs. When I come before you, I know I have all these wrongs. And it's not good enough for me to try to be a good person. Being a good person will, will not get you into heaven, will not get you with God. 
You will not be able to get your good deeds to outweigh your bad. It won't work that way. You have to repent of your wrongs and say, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus made through his death and resurrection on the cross. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you and saying yes to you. I want to have a relationship to you. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, today's the day. Today is the day of salvation for you. And you can confess and repent. It doesn't have to be with fancy words. And you just have to say, God, I need you. I want to be with you. And I believe that Jesus paid for my wrongs. And you become his for eternity. That's it. It really is that simple. I know it sounds too good to be true. But it's true. He wants you to repent. The second part of that all, the second part of that all includes all the peoples of the earth. There's, it's, it's, it's clear from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We'll pick one in Revelation at the end of the Bible that says this. The scene is we're all around Jesus in heaven and we're learning something about Jesus. It says, for you, Jesus, were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus, who did you die for? You ransomed, you bought people for God from every language and people and nation on the earth. You didn't just die for America. You didn't just die for Texas. Not, you didn't just die for the Jews. You died for people from every nation on the planet. Every one of them. And so that's why when Jesus gives the great commission right before he ascends into heaven in Matthew 28, he says to them, Right? He says to them after the resurrection, go and make disciples of all nations. That Greek word there is ethne. It's where we get the word ethnic from. And it's talking about ethnic groups, right? People that share the, the uh, a common language, culture, and history. We refer to these as people groups. We refer to ethnes as people groups. Okay? And, as, and joshuaproject.net, joshuaproject.net says that there are 17,000 ethnes or 17,000 people groups on the earth right now. But here's the problem. 40% of them don't have access to the gospel. It's not that they're rejecting Jesus. It's not that they're saying no. There's not a Bible in their language. They don't know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows Jesus. There's no Caleb for them to tune into. They don't have access. Three billion unreached peoples. And that, friends, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Now you might be thinking, well, well, isn't the church sending people overseas? Yes. There's about 420,000 people overseas, full-time, telling people about Jesus. But here's the problem. Only 3% of them are going to the unreached. Of the 420,000, only 3%, only 12,600 are going to the unreached. 97% are going to those who already have access. This is a huge imbalance. It means that almost all the world's gospel resources are going to those who already have access to the gospel. Think of it this way. How many of y'all have been in the Irwin Center, right? Where Texas plays basketball, volleyball. You guys, you guys, we should get in there before they tear it down. And, um, and so it seats, you guys know the big drum right on 35, right? And, and, and it seats, ironically, about 17,000 people. So let's imagine that each of those seats is filled with a person. 
And each of those people represents one of the people groups, one of the ethnes in the world, right? And so you're standing in the middle of the Irwin Center, and there's two decks or two levels, a lower level and an upper level, a balcony level that's around, all the way around the top. And as you look at the lower level, the lower level, everybody is either holding a Bible or there's a Bible under their chair in their language. And then when you look up at the upper levels, and it's, it's hard to see because it's way up there, right? And you look up there, and there's no Bibles. And there's no Bibles under their chairs. And you're standing in the middle of the Irwin Center with a backpack full of Bibles. Who would you go to? You would go up, right? You would go up. And it's not to to say, here's what I'm not saying, that the bottom section doesn't have needs, right? That people with access to to the, the gospel don't have needs. And I'm not saying that ministry done here in America, for example, is invalid. But what I am saying is, how can we ignore the upper balcony? How can we look? We must prioritize them, right? Because God wants all the peoples to repent. And that's why our church has chosen to focus on the unreached peoples. When you put it on a map, it looks like this. So the green and yellow sections on the map are are the lower balconies. These represent the people groups, the ethnes that have access to the gospel. The red represents the upper levels that have no access to the gospel. And so the, the, the red sections of the map are where we send people long term. So what are we going to do? What are we doing about it? What have we done and what are we going to do about it, right? And so I'm going to just tell you a quick little story, a little bit of our, our history. And I say our history because it's ours collectively. It's not just the staff's history. It's not just Matt Carter, Carter's history. It's, it's so if you've been a part of this church for even a handful of weeks, this is our story. This is a story, and it's really a part of a bigger story, which is God's story. Amen? And so in 2003, Matt and Jen Carter and a handful of families started the Austin Stone, and this was their prayer. God, will you do something so significant that when we look back on it, the only explanation could be that you did it. And the stone began to get involved in the nations from the beginning, sending short-term trips to Haiti and um, Turkey and Egypt. And in 2009, uh, about six years later, fast forward, we got our first mission, uh, nations guy, for the nations guy. His name was Jay. And he went to Kevin Peck, our lead pastor at the time, and said, hey, Kevin, in a few years, I'm going to go to North Africa. Just wanted to give you a heads up. And Kevin jokingly uh, said, well, why don't you take 100 people with you? Well, Jay took that back to his office, and it was the whole For the Nations team was like two people, okay? Jay and Ryan. Imagine how seemingly insignificant this was. And they began to pray and say, God, what if you would do that? What if you would send 100 people from our church? What if we could even just give our church the opportunity to raise their hand to see if anybody's interested? And so they went to Matt Carter, and Matt Carter, September of 2009, preached that to our whole church, and they start, we started something called the 100 People Network. And Matt called our church to, to, to go to the unreached for at least two years. Uh, you had to go to the unreached, and you had to focus on church planning. And, 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 and so we saw God begin to, 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 to do this that first year. Two years later, our family stepped into the story. I love it because we weren't here to start this thing. This is what God has been doing. Not, this isn't patting ourselves on the back, amen? This is what God has done. 
and, and two years after that, December 5th, and I'm just hitting the highlights. There's so much more that we could tell. But December 5th, 2013, Ronnie Smith, who was a part of our church, was shot and killed in North Africa. And this massively shaped our church. I remember Matt standing right here and saying, we're not going to stop sending. We are not going to stop sending. In fact, we're going to send hundreds more. And by God's grace, that's what we've been able to step into. And so the fall of 2014, we celebrated our hundredth goer sent to the unreached peoples just five years after we had started sending. And it wasn't just a hundred adults that we were celebrating. Hundreds were on these things called advocacy teams, which you'll find out about next week. And thousands were praying and thousands were giving. And, and, and so many people, our whole church was involved in mobilizing our, our whole church. See, when I look at our church, I think everybody's on the mobilization team. You know why? Because all those folks that we sent, somebody invited them. Amen? God used some of you to, to set up a chair for them. God used some of you to put mints in the little mint thing so the kids could steal them. Right? And, and, God used, and, and, and God used you to take care of their kids. God used you and an MC to care for them when, the, when they, they went through tragedy. God used you to help them get over their addictions. God used you to help them learn how to make disciples that make disciples. And God used you to mobilize them to the unreached. Amen? It's not just about the goers, friends. Don't believe that lie. All of us are on the mobilization team. But it's not just about mobilizing, is it? We want to see the unreached reach. It's never just been about sending people overseas. That is not the goal. We want to see people repent. We want to see people repent. That's, that's why God is patient. And so about two years ago, in 2016, we began to see God bring forth the emergence of something called a church planting movement in South Asia what that means is that, that we saw God begin to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And that actually was our goal. Before that, sorry, I skipped that part. I was supposed to hold that. And then I would say, so then what? So we sent 100 people, congratulations. And then as we fasted and prayed, we said, God, would you use our church to plant 100 churches to the fourth generation? In other words, a church that plants a church that plants a church that plants a church among the unreached peoples. Would you do that through our church? That seems massive. I don't know how many years it's going to take, but would you do that? Okay, fast forward a couple years, and then in 2016, God begins to pour out his spirit on India like he has been doing. And we, and we, and we realized, wow, this hundred churches among the unreached is going to happen way sooner than we thought. And so we got on our faces again. And we said, God, now what's next? It's like these concentric face circles, right? First it was, could we see 100 people raise their hands to go to the nations? And God did that in a year. Could we then actually see 100 people sent to the unreached? And then God did that in five years. Could we see God plant 100 churches, reproducing churches among the unreached? And now God is doing that. And so now we're asking, what's this one, right? I don't know what's going to happen after this, right? But what's, gonna, what's this next thing that you're calling us to? How could we join you in reaching the unreached in our lifetime? So now we're at our response, the third part. Here's, here's what we believe, that, and the we being the elders of our church and the For the Nations team, 
believe that God is leading us to, to catalyze one, to catalyze a church planting movement among 100 unreached people groups. That we would see that number of 7,000 unreached people groups that live in the red actually come down to 6,900. And God's going to use way more than us. We hope that other churches will get on board in the same way. So when we talk about a church planting movement, again, we're talking about a church that plants a church. Don't think Austin Stone. Think an MC that births an MC that births an MC. But we're not just talking about church starts. We want to see healthy, sustainable churches that last until Jesus returns. Amen? And so, so when you think, well, I could never be a church planner. I, I just don't even know what that would. Could you start a small group? Could you tell somebody about Jesus and teach them to do the same thing? And then start a small group. That's what God's doing throughout the world. To catalyze a church planning movement among 100 unreached people groups. It's a very scary, exciting, and a very scary thing all at the same time. And so we realize we're not going to be able to do this alone. Who are other ministries and churches that we could do this with? And so the, the first two churches that we called were Redeemer Church in Lubbock and the village in Dallas. And said, would you guys do this with us? Would you start this with us? And so now we're starting this thing. You'll see a short video during the announcements called the 100 UPG Cooperative. Because it's going to take a cooperative of churches and agencies to see this next faith circle reached. And so you might be thinking, hey, that's great, Andy, but how does that impact me in 2019 or, or my MC or my family? Glad you asked. We have a practical response and a heart response. A practical response and a heart response. The practical response is this. And this is the first one. You're going to get more practicals the next two weeks. And we want you to join us in praying and fasting. And some of you hear, hear that and you're like, oh man, I, I, I'm drawing the, the, prayer, um, the, the, the prayer straw. It's like getting the short straw, right? Like, oh, you want us to pray. Wow, so important. That means you guys don't, haven't really thought through this. No. <laughs> um, we have, we look to the words of Jesus and in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, he tells us what he wants us to do. And he says it twice. He also says it in Luke 10 too. He says, the harvest is plentiful. He looked at all the lost around him. And he said, this is what I want you to do. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to raise up labors for his harvest. Jesus said, it's not a harvest issue. So many times we think, well, people in India and Afghanistan and, 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 and China, they just don't want to hear about Jesus. That's not true. Friends, it's not true. And I, we have names of people that have said yes to Jesus that live in the red. It's not a harvest issue, amen? It's a labor issue. And Jesus said the key to seeing more people go to his harvest that's in the red is prayer. Not just prayer, but earnest prayer. He doesn't want us to have this little, you know, on our little schedule for the week, a little checkbox for, I did nation's prayer, yay! Right? That's not, that's a good place to start, okay? Sorry, I didn't mean to be Debbie Downer on your little prayer thing. Um, that's a good place to start. But God wants earnest prayer, right? Because see, what, what prayer is, is it's showing God that we are dependent on him to do the thing that we're asking him to do. We don't think our little cooperative or our little strategies, our little training thing is going to reach the unreached. We don't. The only hope of reaching the unreached is that God comes and does it. Amen? 
It's the only hope. And so what we're doing is the most significant thing we could call you to. It's to pray, to cry out together as a body for the next 40 days and say, God, we need you. If the red is going to become green, then we need you. I don't know what my role is, God. Am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to give all my money? What, what do you want me to do, God? That's where he wants us to start, together. And you're going to hear about it more in the announcements, but he doesn't want us to just pray. Prayer and fasting go together in the Bible, right? And, and it's okay if you've never fasted on the, on the little guide that was on your chair. We've got a, a link, and there's the 40-day prayer guide. You can download it right on your phone, and it gives you some helps for fasting. Nothing makes us more desperate than not eating, especially in Austin, amen? Because there's so much good food and other things. And, 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 and nothing shows. And, and when we pray and we fast, we're saying, God, I'm this desperate for you to come and do this thing. That's what he wants in our lives. So in order to pray earnestly, we need to do it daily. We need to do it daily. And that's what we're calling you to. So that's the practical thing, pray and fast. Here's the heart response. Here's the heart response. He wants us to have hearts that are expectant, that are expectant. Listen to 2 Peter 3.12, we're almost done. It says, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Waiting for and hastening. You look at what those words mean, and it, look, it means to expect and to deeply desire, to speed, right? We deeply desire. God, we are expecting that this is going to happen. We know it's going to, and and. And, and we don't just deeply desire your coming. We desire what's on the back end of your coming. Look at verse 13. It says, but according to his promise, the promise of his coming, we are waiting. And it's the same word as in verse 12. We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, friends, married people figure out real soon that it wasn't about the ceremony. Amen? Dude, married people, you're killing me. This is where you should say amen. It's not about the ceremony, amen? amen. Was it about the, uh, what kind of appetizers or little anchor dinker things that sit in the, what are they called? Right, centerpieces. <laughs> Was it really about the centerpieces? No, it's about your marriage, your life together. This is, this is what God's trying to turn our eyes to. It's not just about his coming. It's about what's going to happen afterwards. Amen? I loved my wife the least the day we got married. Amen? (laughs) Think about it. 16 and a half years ago, I loved her the least. I love her infinitely more today than I loved her then. Amen? And that's what it's going to be like for us. Let's, Let's read about it in Revelation 21. And we'll be done. This is what's going to happen, friends. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Remember, those things had been dissolved. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is why we yearn for his coming. Because it means we get to be with him without restraints, without restrictions. It's not going to get boring, friends. It's going to get better day after day after every day. will be an unfading, unfading glory. We will enjoy more of him, and then the next day we will enjoy more of him, and then the next day we will enjoy more of him. This is where righteousness dwells. This is where he dwells with us. This is why we long for the unreached to know him. Let's pray. God, you're so kind to us. You're so, so kind to us. You could have reached the world in any way, and yet you chose to let us be a part of seeing all the people groups that Jesus died for, that you ransomed, you already paid for them. They are redeemed. They just don't know it yet. And so God, would you continue to use our church to send hundreds of laborers to those who have never heard? Right now, would you even awaken people's hearts to the fact that they are supposed to go? It doesn't matter stage of life. I'm not talking to just 20-somethings. God, you want your people to respond to you And many of us will stay right here in Austin. And so show us how we can join you in this, God. We want to live our lives for things that matter for eternity. We don't want to live for the trite things. The things that will be dissolved. We want to live for you. Thank you that you have made us your own, at great cost to yourself. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit that lives in us. Show us, God, as we pray together over these next 40 days, show us what it looks like to join you, to step out in faith so that all the unreached would be reached in our lifetime. The church agreed and said, amen.